Well, one final thing I'd like to cover with you, and that is the Three Circles Conversation Guide. You find this on pages 9 and 10. This was actually developed by a former student of mine, Jimmy Scroggins, who now pastors down in the Miami area. And this particular approach gives the easiest on-ramp to a gospel conversation that I've ever seen, and, and thus wanted to introduce it to you today. The Three Circles Conversation Guide, you, you think about how many times in everyday conversation somebody shares a problem with you. And, and particularly as believers, we have a lot of people that will share their problems with us because non-Christians have figured out that as a rule, in general, Christians are caring, compassionate people. Now, we can all act like jerks at times, right? That's part of the hypocrisy. But most unbelievers figure out if they're hurting, they, they want to talk to a Christian because they're going to receive care and concern and compassion. So here's the easiest on-ramp in the world to a gospel conversation. There on page nine. When someone shares a problem or struggle with you, you simply ask them this question, may I share with you a way I've learned to think about my problems that has really helped me? I recommend that you memorize that question, you memorize that phrase. I think every word of it is very significant. May I share with you, you're asking their permission. May I share with you a way I've learned to think about my problems. You're, you're not claiming to walk on water, never have any issues or struggles. You're identifying as a fellow struggler that has really helped me. You, you have answers. They're sharing a problem that seemingly has no answers. This is the easiest on-ramp to a spiritual conversation you'll ever have. Someone, man, my week has been, it's like 2020 on steroids, worst week of my life, da 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 and they share it. And then you simply reply, may, may I share with you a way I've learned to think about my problems that has really helped me? I, I guarantee you the answer will be yes. So here's how you share it. Looking there first at God's design. Uh, I believe that God created this world. It was all good. God has a design for our lives. The Bible tells us that God created a world that he designed and everything worked perfectly. There, there was perfect harmony in all of creation and with one another. Now, at this point, if you start sharing this with someone, you can anticipate this. This happens about half the time that I share this. Someone will say, well, well, I don't believe that. Here's how you reply. You smile and say, well, I didn't ask you whether or not you believed it. A minute ago, I asked you, may I share with you a way I've learned to think about my problems that has really helped me? And you said, yes. So I'm sharing with you what, how I've learned to think about it. You told me yes, so hold on, hold on to your questions. Let me share. That's why it's important to ask that question. May I share with you? They've already given you permission. They may say, no, I, well, I don't believe that. Well, I didn't ask you if you believed it. I, a few minutes ago, asked, may I share this with you? You said yes. So hold, hold on to your questions. We'll come back to them. We see the next uh, 
picture their sin. Life doesn't work when we ignore God and His original design for our life. We, we rebel. We choose to stubbornly do things in our own way. And the Bible calls that sin. And the consequences of our sin is separation from God in this life and for all eternity. So what happens when we sin? We, we end up in brokenness. And we see brokenness when we look in the mirror. We see it in our own life. We see it as we look around the world. What do we do when we find ourselves in this circle of brokenness? Well, we desperately try and find a way out of that brokenness. Some people try and follow a way out of that brokenness with drugs, with alcohol, with, with other things. But those squiggly lines show that we try and escape our brokenness, but it just comes crashing back down upon us. The last line there on page nine is, is another very significant line. Our brokenness shows us we can't change ourselves. Would you not agree that if we, if we could fix our brokenness ourselves, we would have already done it? See, that, that's another real teachable moment here because here's a person sharing about their problems, their struggles that they don't have an answer for. This diagram explains we try desperately to find an answer, but they just come crashing back down. We just end up in the same circle of brokenness. If, if we could get out of this circle, we would have already done it. It's not for lack of effort. It's not for lack of trying. So turn on to page 10 then. The Bible gives us a story of good news, the gospel. Because of his love, God didn't leave us in our brokenness. Jesus himself, God, stepped into history in human flesh, took on a human body to live the life that we have failed to live. He took our sin and shame to the cross, shed his innocent blood for forgiveness. So the gospel is how God puts broken people back together again. So how, how do we escape this brokenness? Well, the Bible says we repent and believe. Simply hearing all of this is not enough. We, we must admit that we have turned away from God ourselves. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have to admit that we don't have the power to escape this brokenness on our own. We need help, and God provides that help in the gospel. So we must acknowledge our sin and turn from it and put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to repent and believe. And when we do that, we're able to recover and pursue God's design. That next statement, again, I, I think is one of the crucial statements that you ought to just memorize verbatim. God doesn't ask us to change our past because we can't do that. Do you, you realize the good news that's found in that statement? Because there are so many people, and they're your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members and your friends, they're mired down in this brokenness, and they're living a life filled with regret and pain and heartache. They're living life looking in the rearview mirror. If only I'd done things differently. If, if only I could change my past. Here's the good news of the gospel. God does not ask us to change our past. God didn't ask Denise to change 50 years of her past living in sin to the hill. 
He just asks us to humbly admit our need and come to Him, and He begins to transform our present and our future. That's the glorious news of the gospel. No matter what's happened in the past is past. God accepts sinners who come to Him. We don't clean ourselves up first and then come to Him. We, we come to Him in the midst of our brokenness. So you simply conclude by saying, this diagram has helped me. And as, as you look at your own life, where would you say you are now? Here's what's going to happen, because I've shared this dozens of times, and people will say, well, I'm... I'm here. I'm in this first circle. I go, well, you know, that's, that's interesting because 10 minutes ago, you told me you were in this circle. You, you, you told me that your life was falling apart, that you saw no hope, that you had no answers, that it's just pain upon pain, heartache upon heartache. Uh, would you like to follow God's plan to leave your brokenness and begin to recover and pursue God's design. I've had people say yes. I've had people say, no, I'm, I'm not ready. Well, let me give you this diagram. The beautiful thing about this diagram is you can draw it out on a piece of paper, on a note card, on a napkin, sketch it out. Let, let me give this to you so that when that time comes, you can recall this diagram. So back to page four then in the notes, one, one final uh, thing to emphasize, and, and that is to trust God for the results. Trust God for the results. We, we've talked about some different practical things that, that we can do in seeking to uh, share with others, but trusting God for the results. In Mark chapter four, we're told the parable of the sower. We know that parable. The sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, the seed fell on four different types of soil. Do you think Jesus told us that parable to discourage us in evangelism or to encourage us? Or he told it to us to encourage us. Jesus is very much a realist. He says, as you go out and sow, some of the seed's going to fall on hard soil. There are going to be people that aren't going to want to listen, aren't going to be interested. There's going to be some shallow soil, some thorny soil, where, where it may appear that the seed takes root, but it, but it really doesn't. But there's also going to be good soil. So sow the seed widely. Jesus did not tell the parable in this way. I think this is some, sometimes how we read it, or at least how we apply it. Jesus did not say the sower went out to inspect the soil. And where he suspected he found good soil, he sowed the seed. But where he thought it might be bad soil, he withheld the seed. Now, we're, we're to sow indiscriminately. As I mentioned earlier, let, let's stop saying no for other people. Different analogy, I mentioned I was an engineering major. We, we had on our campus at Kansas State University uh, actually a nuclear reactor there. We had a new, had, still have a nuclear engineering program, and we had on our faculty Dr. Dudley Williams, one of the top nuclear physicists in the country. His textbook on engineering physics was used at MIT, and he was teaching at Kansas State University. Well, one day in our class, he chased a rabbit, as professors sometimes do in their lectures, 
And he talked about being there in the desert sands of New Mexico when they first detonated the atomic bomb and they first split the atom. Now, he wasn't right there. He would have been obliterated. He was miles away in a several feet thick concrete command shack. But he said, my job that day was to monitor two gauges, two vacuum gauges. This was long before computer technology. And when the bomb was detonated, I was to measure their maximum reading. He said, an interesting thing happened. When the bomb was detonated, our whole command shack shook, and, and those needles were pegged to their maximum readings. He said they hovered there for a while before they fell back to zero. And then he laughed as he told our engineering class, do you realize the top scientific minds in the world completely underestimated the power of the atom? Their wildest guess missed it by a factor of three. And, and as he shared that, I thought, I think that's what we have a tendency to do with the gospel. We construct a gospel gauge and we figure out how powerful we think the gospel is. And we go, you know, I, I think the gospel is powerful enough. I, I'm, I'm going to share it with this person. Then we come to the next person and go, oh, just look at George. I mean, this just, this isn't looking good. I mean, God, I know the gospel's powerful, but I mean, just look at this guy. No, I'm going to withhold the seed. I know it's powerful, but it's not that powerful. Can we allow God to smash our gospel gauges? Can we stop saying no for other people? Can, can we stop being soil inspectors and instead be sowers? Trusting God for the results as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I watered, or I planted Apollos water, but it is God who gives the growth. Well, that's the end of the official teaching. Uh, I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. I'll uh, be happy to take a question or two, either large group session or I'll hang around here if you have a specific question. So. Any, any questions about what we talked about, bridges to the gospel? Three circles? Yes, yeah, that great question. George is asking, when you share the gospel with someone, are, are you including the necessity of them repenting and believing, or are you just focused on what Christ did on the cross? The answer is to share the gospel according to the scriptures, according to the New Testament, is to explain the necessary response. If you look at what's known as the kerygma, the apostolic preaching of the church, beginning in Acts chapter 2 with Peter, I'm actually preaching through the book of Acts in my church, and I'm preaching tomorrow Peter's sermon at Pentecost from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36. That's my sermon tomorrow is Peter's sermon. Every time you see the gospel shared in the New Testament, the necessity of repentance and faith is always tied with it. It's not like here's the gospel and then Appendix A is, oh, and by the way, you need to repent and believe. If someone says, well, I shared the gospel, but I didn't have time to explain the necessary response, Scripture would say, well, you didn't share the gospel. You shared part of the gospel. The necessary response is not an appendix to the message. It's a vital part of the message, explaining that it isn't enough just to know this intellectually. We, we must personally respond.
And, and why that's important is there are a lot of people who understand those first three elements. The gospel is a message about God, the holy and loving creator. The gospel is a message about humankind created in God's image, yet sinful and fallen. The gospel is a message about Christ, his person and his work. But what they're lacking is the gospel also is a message about a necessary response. We must personally respond. And I was in that category. I grew up going to church six years in a row, perfect attendance in Sunday school. We had a dairy on our farm. If you have a dairy, you don't take vacations. Your vacations are milk the cows Saturday morning, rush up to the lake, fish. Even if the fish are still biting, you gotta go home and milk the cows. They don't milk themselves. I'm in church every Sunday and yet, and I understood all these truths, who Christ was, what he'd done. I didn't understand the necessity of me personally receiving that gift. I assumed because I believed those things, I was already a Christian, but I wasn't. Tell people I was missing Christianity by 18 inches, the distance from my head to my heart, and understanding that distinction. So, great question. Uh, if I say I've shared the gospel, that means I have included that necessary response. That's not an appendix to the gospel, that's an integral part of it. Great, great question. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, here, here first. Will first and then back to Jordan. Uh, right. Uh, that's yeah. But Will, Will, that's a great question. Will's asking the question, uh, would, would I communicate the gospel differently today than, than say, 40 or 50 years ago? And, and the answer is yes. It's, it's the same gospel. But understanding people's context and coming to it. It's what I call the difference between an Acts 2 world and an Acts 17 world. I'm very much into Acts chapter 2 because that's what I'm preaching uh, tomorrow. So very much on my mind. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost to preach, who was in his audience? Jews, right? Jews from the diaspora, Jews from all over the, the known world at, at that time. So when Peter stands up to preach, he doesn't stand up and say, let me explain to you who God is. Peter really starts in the middle. They already know who Yahweh is. They know Yahweh's promised a Messiah. Peter just reminds them of that and says, I'm here to tell you the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And he cites these Old Testament passages, Psalm 16, Psalm 110, to show how Christ is the Messiah. And then he says, you need to repent and believe. He really starts in the middle. 50 years ago, you could do that. I grew up in an Acts 2 society. Uh, the kids that I went to school with, uh, we had the Ten Commandments on the wall right under the American flag. We started every day of school with prayer. This is a secular school. I look back, I'm not sure most of my teachers were believers, but we at least knew what it was to pray for somebody's grandma who was in the hospital. If you were to ask my friends who didn't go to church, they, they could have passed a Bible quiz. They knew who God was. They knew who Abraham was. There, there was enough cultural, it was an Acts 2 society. Now fast forward to Acts chapter 17. Here you have Paul in Athens. Paul comes in, and as he stands up to speak, he says, I, I bear witness, you're very religious. You have all these altars to all these different gods. In fact, you even have one to an unknown god. Paul says, whom you worship in ignorance, I now proclaim to you. 
And Paul followed the advice of that noted theologian, Julie Andrews. Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. He doesn't assume anything. They don't know who God is. They've, they've never been told of who Yahweh is, that the covenant-keeping God. So Paul starts at the beginning and talks about who is God. He's the one who created everything. Everything that you see, he created. We exist for him, not he for us. Very different between an Acts 2 culture and an Acts 17 culture. Today, we live in an Acts 17 culture, even here in Louisville, Kentucky. Someone once said that Louisville, Kentucky is where the Bible Belt buckles. I, I don't know if that was ever true, but I know it's certainly not true today. If you were to go over to UL's campus this afternoon and say to a co-ed, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. She might respond, well, well, why wouldn't she love me? After all, I'm me. Very different than what a co-ed would have said 50 years ago, having a basic understanding of who God is. People have no understanding today. So the gospel message hasn't changed, but I think we need more of an Acts 17 approach where we start by explaining who God is versus an Acts 2 approach where that can be assumed. I don't think we can assume that in our culture anymore. Great question. Yeah. George, you had another one? Uh, how does my prayer life tie into it? Uh, I begin each day in, in my devotions with this prayer. Lord, help me to be sensitive to opportunities to witness today. Uh, I used to pray, in fact, when I worked for an evangelistic association, part of our requirement to be on staff was we had to pray every day for the opportunity to witness. Well, that, that sounded great, and I would do that. But then I'd get to the end of the day, and I'd think, oh, my gosh, I'm an idiot. God dropped two opportunities in my lap, and I missed them both. I was just oblivious to them. So I, I started praying different in the way that I started my day this morning. God, today, help me to be sensitive to opportunities that I have. That's sensitive to opportunities to share Christ with unbelievers. That's sensitive to opportunities to encourage believers. I, I want to lift up my eyes and, and see what I see instead of going through life with blinders on thinking it's all about me. So that fundamentally is how, how each day plays out. I have a group of people that I pray for, uh, neighbors who don't know Christ, my brother-in-law who doesn't know Christ, friends. I have golfing buddies who don't know Christ. Uh, I, I have a friend that I've been sharing the gospel with now for over 25 years. Just texted him again yesterday. Uh, uh, we knew each other in Chicago, have shared with him many times over 25 years, still never came to faith, but we're still friends. He wants to go pheasant hunting where I grew up in western Kansas, lots of pheasant hunting there, and so we're trying to see if we can coordinate and work together a trip. So his name's Tim as well. I, I pray for Tim regularly, pray for opportunities. When I travel to California, I, I go and visit him. I took him to dinner last November uh, when I was out there continuing to try and share. So tied in with people specifically that I'm praying for, but uh, also praying for sensitivity. And in terms of key verses, uh, I, I think just understanding uh, what our spiritual condition is. Uh, many of these verses out of Romans, you know, what, what's known as the Romans Road, uh, 
Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When I share that with someone, I emphasize, do you realize who that word all includes? Pretty all-inclusive term. That includes you, and that also includes me. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. We earn something because of our sin. We're paid a wage, and, and that's spiritual death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't ask us to try and clean ourselves up and then come to him. In the words of the hymn, we come just as we are. Because if we have to clean ourselves up before we can come to God, we're, we're hopeless because even as we're trying to clean ourselves up, we're just making more messes. No, we come as we are and then God begins to transform us. Uh, John 1, 12, uh, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, emphasizing the necessity of a personal response. Uh, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So those are some of the key verses that I think really bring out the heart of the gospel. There are many others. Uh, we've talked about 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him a new no sin to be sin for us. We might become the righteousness of God in him, but that those are verses that I find helpful. Good. Well, thank you all. I trust this has been an encouragement for you. Did, did you hand out the booklets, Nick? Did everyone there get a copy? A okay. More up there on the table. If you didn't get a copy of that booklet, uh, feel free to grab one. I trust that will be an encouragement to you. And uh, I'll, I'll stay here if you have any uh, particular questions. We're so grateful for your time this morning. I wonder if you would close us in prayer and include in that a prayer for us and for our church as we seek to share the good news with our neighbors. Uh, I will. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to talk about the good news this morning, the, the greatest news that we could ever hear, the greatest news we could ever share. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Grace Anglican Church. Uh, I thank you for the love for you and the love for others that has been displayed by these individuals taking their Saturday morning to be here. And Father, I, I pray that you would take each of us and meet us at our particular point of need, where, wherever we are in this pilgrimage of learning to share our faith, that we would begin to apply and take the next steps. Lord, I pray in advance for the gospel conversations that will be happening in the days and weeks and months ahead. Pray that you prepare the hearts of people that we would have the opportunity to seek to point to Christ. I pray for Grace Anglican Church as this church seeks to be a lighthouse in this neighborhood. I pray that many would come to know you and come to worship Christ through the faithful witness of the members of this church. And Lord, we pray all these things for your namesake, for your glory. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.